For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Today's reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Then Jesus returned in the power of the, of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went through all of the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and in his custom, well, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. And he was handed to the book, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it, had, where it had been written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of, the, and the eyes of all who were on the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you. Honestly, let's be realistic. Thank you all for coming here today. When I, when I woke up this morning, I have an Alexa, and I was like in my covers, like all nice and warm, and I was like, Alexa, what's the weather today? And she was like, right now in Minneapolis, it's negative nine degrees. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to church today. <laughs> and I have to be up here, so this is weird. Um, so seriously, thank you for coming. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Claire Wyatt, or you can call me Cece Wyatt. I think at some point we need to have a vote as to like which one you want to call me, and that's the one that we'll go, go with. Um, and like Steve said, I am one of the people who get to be up here regularly teaching, which is also really weird, but also super fun. Um, so as I was preparing for today's sermon, when I was reading the passage in the book of Luke, I was kind of imagining Jesus sort of like casually strolling up to the front of the synagogue, like putting his hand out, and the guy like puts the scroll in his hand, and then he just kind of like casually opens it and starts reading it. And then like 
gives it back, strolls back to his seat, sits down, and everybody's staring at him. And he's like, scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, Jesus just dropped the mic. <laughs> I don't know. I think I might be alone in that. Anybody else? No? Okay. Um, so I th- it is super helpful for me to be honest up front. Um, this passage was really hard for me, actually. If you um, don't know or are new to Genesis, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary. So I knew kind of two months ago what the options for passages were and settled on this one mostly because I did not want to touch Nehemiah with like a 10-foot pole. And then also the passage that we read during worship, I'm like, gosh, I've heard that one a lot. This one feels great. Um, but then once I kind of got into it and started reading it, I was like, geez, this is, this is sort of tough. So, or tough for me at least. So we will struggle through it together um, today. And with that, I kind of want to start us off in prayer, if that's okay. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us all together on this super cold Minnesota day. Um, I just pray uh, that you would be with all of us where we are at, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say today. I pray that you would open up my heart um, to what you have to say through me. And yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen. We pray. Amen. Cool. All right, so when I started reading this passage, there were two kind of main things that were popping for me that we will keep talking about sort of throughout um, my sermon today. So one was, where are we in the text? And the second was, where are we in the story? So where are we in the text is the Gospel of Luke. So if you were, you know, by yourself looking for looking at this story, the Gospel of Luke is the only place that you're going to find it, um, which I actually think is really interesting. And what's also interesting is for me is that this isn't the only gospel story where um, that happens. Isn't that kind of weird? Like not all gospels are identical. Um, I I actually don't know if I really think about that enough. Um, And like, if you were to take the birth of Jesus, for example, it's only the whole birth of Jesus is actually only in Matthew and Luke, but Mark completely skips it. And then John starts his gospel with some like weird kind of imagery, poetry stuff. And then that and how often John calls himself the beloved have me asking like lots of questions about John and his personality. Um, But anyway, I digress. Um, So if we're using Jesus' birth kind of as an example of what's happening in different Gospels, even in Matthew and Luke where the birth of Jesus happens, the story is different in both of those Gospels. So if we look at Matthew, we have wise men, we have Mary and Joseph and Jesus eventually fleeing to Egypt. In Luke, we have a lot more detail about Mary and her story, and then we have shepherds and their flocks seeing Jesus first. So each author is focused on different details of the story. I don't think either of those stories are really wrong necessarily. I think they're just focusing on different details. So going back to our passage, my question was sort of why would Luke include this story while other Gospels wouldn't? So one of the things that I have been, I've been learning is that each gospel has a different theme or message that they're trying to get across. So if you over, understand kind of the overall theme of each gospel, 
the stories that they include and then the stories that they leave out actually make a lot more a lot more sense. And if we're thinking about, okay, well, what are the overarching themes for each gospel? Like, how do we, how do we know? I think we can get some of the clues from the actual name of the gospel. So, for example, if we're looking at um, the book of Matthew, the name Matthew means gift of Yahweh. So, if we're reading the gospel of Matthew, it's going to point to stories to help us understand how the Messiah, Jesus, is a gift. Mark is from the Latin name meaning Marcos, which means God of war. So if you read the book of Mark, like Mark is the shortest gospel. It's very quick and to the point. Like one of the reasons I think Mark skips the birth story is he wants to get to the meat of Jesus's ministry. Um, and then the book of John or John, the name John means God is gracious. So the overall theme of John is gonna really paint a picture for us um, of God's abundant grace and acceptance. So then if we think, okay, well, book of Luke, what does Luke mean? So Luke in Greek means light giving. So if Luke means light giving, I kind of want to say this together. If it's light, where are we in the Bible? Genesis. Yeah, no? Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh, we're in Genesis. We're at day one of Genesis. So specifically, we're on the first day in Genesis 1, 3, and 4. So I'll make this tie, and hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense, but I'm going to read um, those Genesis verses. So it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So I want to pick this verse apart a little bit, because I think it's going to help us understand sort of what the overarching theme of Luke is, which will ground us in our passage. So there's three big things that are happening in this verse. One is that God creates light. The second is that God sees the light and calls it good. And then the third is that God separates the light from the darkness. So I think that order is really important. So God creates the light first. God sees the light and calls it good before it's been separated from the darkness. And then God separates the light from the darkness. So what's, that is so interesting for me is that it was, light was created, but it may not be like the light that we think of because it was still in the midst of the darkness. So I want to have our first all play. And if you're new to Genesis, all plays are an opportunity for us to hear the voice of the chorus instead of just the voice of the solo. Um, and I actually, I truly, truly believe this. I think our collective knowledge as a church is greater than, uh, for sure, greater than just what, I've, what I'm bringing to the table. Um, but that's one of the things that I love is that we have so much to learn from each other besides just the person up front. Um, so what I want to ask is how does it feel when someone you love or someone you trust calls out light in you that you didn't necessarily know was there. It feels surprising, totally. Disbelieving, yeah, for sure. Validating, yeah, 100%. That's so beautiful. Do you wanna come up here? <laughs> Yeah, it feels like love to be seen well. Any other? Scary. Yeah, absolutely. It's so terrifying, right? To have somebody see something that's really good in you that you maybe didn't recognize. 
empowering for sure. Yeah, because you feel you have like a sense of purpose now, right? Uh, yeah, totally. Because you, if you've seen the light, you can't really unsee it. Cool. Um, so what I, for me, I think when somebody sees light in, in me that I didn't know is there and somebody calls it out, you do, you feel really seen. You feel really seen and you feel really loved and you feel really taken care of by that person that called out that light in you. So kind of a second all play off of the first, if you feel, if you personally, if you feel seen, heard, and loved, how does that make you want to interact with other people? You want to give them that same gift? Yeah, thank you. What did you say? Give it away. Yeah, totally. Any other deep thoughts for Sunday morning? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that the perpetual nature of that being seen and then wanting to see others, that's like a real, that's a real thing. Um, when, I, when I think about that and having an experience where somebody really sees me, that's something where you want to, maybe not just that person, but other people around you, you want to make them feel seen and loved as well. Um, and I think that gets us to the invitation of the book of Luke, is to sort of see as God sees. This feeling seen and then helping others feel seen, to me, is what that Genesis verse is talking about. It's about God saying, okay, I see you, now can you go see other people? So when we see as God sees, we name, we name light in other people, we can call it good, and we can draw it out of the darkness. So I honestly, if any of you were here last week, Deva preached, and um, it, was, it was amazing. And she, to be totally honest, she threw me into a little bit of an existential crisis because I, I totally, I thought I was going to talk about one thing, and then she's up here talking, and I was like in the back over there being like, oh, gee, oh gosh, like muttering to myself because I was like, this, everything needs to change now. Um, she is, I don't think she's here today, but... If she listens to this, she can make it up for me by making me a grapefruit gimlet, um, which she is very good at making. Um, but one of the, what she talked about is that we are God's beloved. And I think that ties into the scene as God sees, where we can see ourselves and we can see other people. But it's something that we forget, right? Like, I think we go, with, go on with our daily lives and go live in the rhythm of our life, and we forget... Um, that we are God's beloved and that God sees us. So before I go on with the rest of what I want to talk about, we already did something weird in worship, so I don't feel as weird making you do something weird now. Um, but we're going to, I want us to take some time to let us soak, that, soak in for a second, soak in that we're the beloved, um, and do a little contemplative prayer to break up the sermon. So hopefully you'll let me do that, um, and then we'll get to do it together. Because um, one of the things that David talked about last week was silence and stillness before God and having time to abide in his belovedness. So I want to take just an extra 60 seconds of silence and sort of soak that in before we do anything else. So really quickly, hopefully this isn't too crazy, but 
Um, just shake it off a little bit and find yourself in a comfortable seating position. So if you have to adjust, that's fine. Um, if it feels weird and you don't want to do this, that's totally okay. It is absolutely fine to observe. This is really, I want this to be your space to do with what you want. Um, so maybe close your eyes. Um, but if your eyes aren't closed, that's fine. If you just want to look down to the floor and sort of soften your gaze. So you just, um, just relaxed. Your face and body is relaxed. And take a deep breath in. And notice your breath as it fills up your lungs. And then take a deep breath out. And you can just keep breathing for the next minute. But if you do want something to think about, when you breathe in, you can silently say to yourself, I am the beloved. And if you don't believe that this is true, give yourself some grace that you don't believe it, but maybe try it anyway. And as you breathe out, breathe out any lies that you believe about yourself, any lies about your worth and value, any lies about having to be something that you're not, any lies about not being good enough or talented enough or skinny enough or fit enough or successful enough. Maybe even just the simple lie of I am not beloved is fine. Maybe even imagine the phrase, I am the beloved, as this beautiful golden light that you're trying to breathe in all the way down to your toes. Maybe imagine the lies as a dark, oily substance that with every exhale drops to the ground. I'll give you just a little bit to breathe. Open your eyes. Right. Hopefully that wasn't too weird or crazy and was even kind of nice. Hopefully you're feeling a little bit more relaxed on your Sunday. Um, so at the beginning, I said there were two things that were popping for me. One was where we are in the text, which is in the book of Luke, and be invite being invited to see as God sees. The other is where we are in the story. So... I'll play after I've gotten you really mellow. Um, how do we get to this point? So just to ground us back to where we are, Luke 4, he's reading the scroll in the synagogue. What was Jesus doing before we got here? Does anybody know? Temptation? Yep, totally. That's literally like right before this. What else? Did you say fasting? Yeah, fasting with the temptation, for sure. Baptism mm -hmm, at the Jordan. Yeah. Carpentry. Yeah, I mean, right. Shout out to all the carpenters. 
Hashtag Joe Tim. He's a great carpenter. Um, so he was, he was anointed in the Jordan, and then he went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. So bonus points. Does anyone know what happens immediately after this passage? It's kind of a tricky one. I'll give you 5,000 Torah points, which are redeemable in heaven, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Watch me get, like, struck by lightning after we leave. God's like, I don't do Torah points. <laughs> Anybody know? Are you serious? That's totally what it is. That's amazing. Gosh, 5,000 Torah points for you. Um, I did not know that that was a thing. Uh, I, the only thing that I could think of, though, is he's like reading the scroll in the synagogue, and then suddenly everybody's like, ah, throw him off the cliff. It's like that Ron Burgundy moment where you're like, that escalated quickly. <laughs> so um, I actually went to Israel this past fall, and during that trip, we went to the mountain where he allegedly was supposed to be thrown off the cliff. And when we were told that, I had this moment of like, I do not. I don't remember the story for my children's study Bible. Like, <laughs> this can't have happened. Um, but it did. It's really there. It's in Luke 4:29, And it says, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Okay. So this is such a huge shift from what we read in verse 15 of this Luke chapter, which says he's teaching in the synagogues being glorified by all. So this huge, this like massive shift, shift in popularity. In verse 15, people want to glorify him. And then in verse 29, everybody's like, let's kill Jesus. It's like, great, good, everybody's on the same page. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me is, is the timing, is that the Jordan and his anointing experience happened first before any of that. Um, so what we read about when Jesus was baptized is that the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven that said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So what I want to suggest is that Jesus was grounded in his belovedness. So even in the span of 15 verses, Jesus goes from being glorified by all to being Nazareth's most wanted. Imagine the emotional whiplash you'd feel if you weren't grounded in how God saw you. So I, I already mentioned that I went to Israel this fall. So this trip was with my 40 Orchards cohort, and the last time I was up here, I talked a little bit um, about that cohort. Um, but just an FYI on what it is, it's basically I've been studying the Bible and kind of learning about myself since October 2017. I was writing like last October and I was like, no, it was like the October before that, holy smokes, um, with this wonderful group of people. And the Israel trip was kind of this capstone trip for the year and really brought a lot of things together for us. And one, one warning I will give you is that you cannot study the Bible intensely with people for 40 weeks and not experience your own drawing light out of darkness moments. So this group of people named Light in me that I had a hard time naming in myself, and I honestly probably didn't even know was there. So when we were in Israel, one of my favorite experiences was actually, we actually got to be immersed in the Jordan River. And this, which, it's, it was amazing. Um, 
And the morning we were going to the Jordan, I actually, I remember being really anxious because I didn't know if I wanted to get into the water um, because I'd already been baptized and to be baptized twice again felt a little, just felt a little weird. Um, but some things happened where a group ended up getting in the water together and circling around people who wanted to be baptized or immersed. And what was amazing about this experience for me was that our whole community, we were all in the water together and everybody's experience was different. And it was exactly what each of those individual people needed. So I remember watching a couple of my friends from the cohort be immersed and I, I sort of was still debating if I wanted to do it. I can't really quantify like the level of, like the weird level of anxiety I was having about being immersed. I don't know what the deal was. But luckily I had a friend kind of gently push me into the middle and I got to sort of experience this crazy moment where time stopped and I was sort of reminded of my own belovedness and what God called me to be and do in the world. So what I've noticed is that if the more that I rest in like that truth of knowing who I am, the less I care about what, happened around, what happens around me or to me. I've noticed that when I'm resting in my belovedness, I can experience success and failure a whole lot more rationally. When I'm not, however, which if we are being honest is probably most of the time, you guys, I'm not perfect, okay? Um, <laughs> I end up taking way too much stock in people's praise of me or care way too much about when things aren't going well and sort of experience that emotional whiplash of like, do you love me? You know, do you think I'm great? Whatever. Um, so knowing he was beloved was why I think Jesus could walk up to the front of the synagogue and read from Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, he's naming that he's God's anointed in front of a group of religious leaders. He's saying he's going to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and essentially turn the entire political and social system on its head. He ends with saying he's proclaiming the years, year of the Lord's favor, and just like a little snippet of what this means, he's basically proclaiming this thing called the year of Jubilee, which in Leviticus says that every 50 years, Israel is supposed to let their slaves go free, return their land to its original owners, and essentially like redistribute wealth. So it's like, okay, if that's what he's saying, no wonder people are getting upset. Um, but within all of this, Jesus knew that he was beloved. So that's why he was able to say the hard thing, and I think why he would eventually die for us because he so deeply knew and understood that he was God's beloved. So my experience was dramatic, but if you know me, I mean, like, drama is my life. So it, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't think that you need your own Jordan River experience to know that you're beloved and know what God has for you. I truly, truly believe that everybody in this room has a specific calling on their life. And if... Yes, that is true. Um, and one side note, if you've heard me talk about my job at all, you know I love my job. Um, if you watch my Instagram stories, you know I work in a mystical fantasy land that's like literally not real. Um, but one thing I would say is that I think we can really easily confuse calling with what our job should be, and I don't think that that is true at all. Um, 
I think that I could live out my calling at a completely different job or even if I was unemployed. I don't think your situations or circumstances matter. Um, so anyway, it's not really the situation that's, at, that's the point, but how you're showing, choosing to show up in the world. I think it means being aware of how you exist in the world when you're resting in your belovedness and just doing more of that. So Henry Nouwen says this, if you keep your belovedness in mind, you can deal with an enormous amount of success as well as an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity, because your identity is that you are beloved. Long before your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, your teachers, your church, or any people who touched you in a loving as well as in a wounding way, long before you were rejected by some person or praised by somebody else, that voice has been there always. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That love is there before you were born and will be there after you die. A life of 50, 60, 70, or 100 years is just a little moment in which you can say, yes, I love you too. God has become so vulnerable, so little, so dependent in a manger and on a cross and is begging us, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you really love me? That's where ministry starts because your freedom is anchored in claiming your belovedness. That allows you to go into this world and touch people, heal them, speak with them, and make them aware that they are beloved, chosen, and blessed. So I think this takes us back to the invitation of Luke, that when we understand our own belovedness, we are invited to help others understand their belovedness. The specific ministry that we're called to do, our specific anointing, is no longer a chore, but is anchored in our own belovedness. It turns the work we're doing into a get-to versus a have-to. It brings us into a space of freedom where, of course, we would want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, even if that makes us unpopular. So we have another 60 seconds of silence, you lucky dogs. Um, for these next 60 seconds, uh, some of you may just need to go back to abiding in your belovedness, and I absolutely think that that's okay. I, the one thing that I would maybe want you to take away is that you cannot help people understand their own belovedness until you start understanding yours. So if it just needs to be 60 seconds, again, of like you are beloved, that is totally fine. Some of you, I think, maybe want to think a little bit more if you understand that and want to start reaching out. Um, so maybe these next 60 seconds are less about that and maybe more about saying, here I am, send me.